Support comes from Pacific Science Center, working to inspire the next generation of scientists and increase access to STEM education statewide through digital discovery workshops, science on wheels, and summer camps. More ways to support these efforts at PACSci.org. Hi, it's Bill Radke, host of KUOW's Week in Review. I'm back with another episode of Words in Review. What I do is choose a word that I keep hearing And I think it's interesting, and I ask, is anybody else hearing this? And if I'm lucky, I find a thoughtful, knowledgeable, enthusiastic guest who says, yes, I'm into this word too, and I hear it all the time. People use it a lot more than they think they do. I mean, if you start going around and listening to your, you know, a day's worth of conversation, you're going to find it occurring over and over again in different ways. If you've already seen this episode's headline, you know that Eric Davis is talking about the word weird. I've never liked that word. I've banned it from my home, as you will hear. I'm going to try to turn Davis against it, too, but it's not going to be easy because I think he loves weird. He wrote a book called High Weirdness, which is about drugs. He wrote a book called Technosis, which is a weird word. It's about myth, magic, and mysticism, which are all weird. Dreams are weird. Coincidence is weird. Deja vu, intuition, superstition, death is weird. Stuff you don't like is weird. Maybe things you love are weird. His home of California is a weird place, and so is our home of the Pacific Northwest. And those two places have a lot in common, including our work on artificial intelligence, which is really weird. Or is it? I argued with him about that. I reasoned with him. I learned from him. And here's our conversation. Eric Davis, welcome to KUOW. Happy to be here. You write about California weirdness. Do you think there's a different Pacific Northwest weirdness? Um, well, of course, I think every place that gets its own weirdness. Uh, I, I write about California weirdness partly because I'm a Californian. Uh, but I also very much consider myself a West Coast figure. And I think that's in some ways even the more important uh, uh, bioregional category. And, but uh, there's a certain sort of inflection up there. It's, uh, the, the, the woods are, are darker and uh, gloomier. And uh, uh, I think there's perhaps a little bit more uh, funky, magical mushroom energy uh, uh, permeating of the Pacific Northwest. I mean, you know, Bigfoot belongs to all of us, but I think that uh, Bigfoot has a particular uh, focus up there. Yes, he does. And I'm glad you mentioned the West Coast because I talked with a local very a prominent sci-fi fantasy speculative fiction author who has lived here 30 years, Nisi Shawl, and they also named the fact that we in the Pacific Northwest are as far as you can get from where colonialism started in this country. And they talked about getting away and then we get as far as we can to the Pacific Ocean, which is something you also have written about. Absolutely. I mean, we uh, we slam into the largest body of water uh, on the planet. And I think it's also really significant that the uh, very, very dynamic fault lines that we live on, which itself is uh, are, are very uh, you know powerful sources of the weird, uh, are linked to uh, the Pacific so that we are actually kind of as much of a part of the whole Pacific Rim as we are a part of North America. And I think that uh, also adds a, a special twist to our our mountains and our cultures. Eric, we're about to define weird, if we can. And before we do, I have a proposal. I was mentioning to you that I tell my kids to uh, avoid the word weird because 
I tell them it doesn't say, it doesn't describe whatever it is we're talking about. It just says that they're having a reaction and we're better off just naming our reactions and exploring our reactions. Basically, nothing is weird. So I move that we, that nothing is weird. We banish the word. And as America's greatest champion of the word weird, why am I wrong? Well, I would say that uh, you're right in that there's something funny about how we use the word. But I think that uh, you need to go into what that funniness is in order to understand part of what's going on. What I mean by that is that it's kind of a wastebasket word where we put things that we don't really know what else to say about. And while that sometimes is a meaningless dodge, or it's a way of not articulating our feelings to ourself or not describing exactly what might be peculiar or unusual about the thing we're talking about. The fact that we rely on the word weird also tells us something about, well, weirdness in our lives and what we do with things that don't really fit. And that's the key is that we kind of put things there that don't really fit. And if you pull them out of the wastebasket, they're not all the same. You might describe a person as weird because they're sort of unsettling or obsessive or maybe even a a little disreputable. Um, But you might also describe strange occurrences, like if you have a synchronicity or the the dream you had last night seems to have predicted some event in the, the subsequent day. You know, you're not about ready to go, okay, I guess time and space don't work the way I think I did. I I thought they did. You go, yeah, it was weird. So weird can also be a sort of the unusual, the unexpected, even the marvelous. Uh, the weird is also a way of categorizing a whole kind of zone, a whole genre. You know, we have horror, we have science fiction, but the weird really is kind of its own genre increasingly today when people. Pardon exp- me, Eric. It's weird that there's a siren behind you right now. Uh, there you go. <laughs> but OK, I think it's gone. But increasingly, uh, people describe themselves as weird fiction writers or as uh, certain uh, movies as, as being part of this weirdness canon. So it's also a space of the imagination, a place that's kind of macabre, kind of peculiar, sort of cosmic, sort of supernatural, but it has its own particular flavor. And that's why it's good to keep the word around, because it, it lets us see something about reality that I think nothing, no other word uh, really does. So is that your short definition of weird? Is that anything that doesn't fit? Yeah, but it's one of those words where you got to go, you got to unpack it a little bit. But things that don't quite fit is probably the best way to to put it simply. Do you mind if I run a theory past you? No, I'm up for it. Okay, so my theory of why weird is both, it's because it's, it's good and bad. We say, ew, that's weird. And we also say, keep Portland weird because it's fantastic. It's, weird is wonderful. And my theory is that, It's good and bad because on the one hand, we hate uncertainty because that could be a snake in the grass. But what is certain and predictable is that we're going to die and we hate that. So subconsciously, we want the world to be weird and uncertain enough that maybe we could escape our certain fate. Interesting. Interesting. I do think I think you're 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 on and you're slightly off. I do think that the that death has something to do with it and that the feeling of the peculiar that's unsettling is a sense of a proximity to something that 
well, is going to pull the rug out from under everything that we think and, and know. So I, I would put it a little bit more in, in that domain. But it is really true that you need to focus on the fact that it's both positive and negative and therefore somewhere in between. And we actually don't have a lot of words like that. We don't have a lot of ways of describing things that are simultaneously attractive and repelling. And the weird very much does that. And I think it's because we sense that there's something outside of our normal reality and that that's important. And it may actually be kind of marvelous but in order to get there, we have to give up a lot of the known and we have to risk confrontation with things that are deeply unsettling, including reminders of our own mortality. So there is a relationship between the weird and the macabre. And this kind of has to do with the origins of the word. It's important to, to stress that this is one of those words that has maintained a um, connection with uh, its own origins over a long period of time. Uh, so you take, wh wh where does the word come from? It's a, it's an old Anglo-Saxon term and it means fate. So yeah, there's something. It's in Shakespeare. It's in Macbeth. Exactly. And, and uh, Shakespeare actually does something very interesting with it, which is that he turns it into an adjective. Before that, we only have it as a noun. There's the idea of weird as fate. But then the weird sisters come along and suddenly Shakespeare's allowing us to describe other things as weird. Huh. And so it's not just faded. Now it's all the other associations with, uh, uh, um, with you know, connections with the supernatural, with divination, with knowing things in advance. And so it sort of opens the door to a whole range of associated meanings. I want to ask you about a certain large language model that we're all hearing about that's very California. It's very Silicon Valley. But it's it's also I mean, there's a lot of AI work in Seattle. And of course, Microsoft is investing heavily in in chat GPT four and open AI. So a, a I saw that a UC Santa Cruz theoretical cosmologist and physicist described artificial intelligence as, quote, pretty weird. And I wanted to ask you about that because obviously AI, it's novel, it's complex, it might be threatening, but weird. Why is it weird? Yeah, for, to answer this right, I think we need to take one step back and make a connection between uh, the weird and another very important word, which is the uncanny. Yes. And the uncanny is a slightly more sophisticated word. You know, you might find it in literary uh, discussions or certainly in psychoanalysis. Freud wrote a, a wonderful, very readable, very cool paper about the uncanny, uh, which includes ideas of synchronicity or coincidence. But one of the other main features of the uncanny, which is kind of widely recognized in cultural history is that it's a way of describing the creepy unsettling feeling we all have around dolls or the you know, ventriloquist dummies these things that are like kind of animated kind of alive but not you mm -hmm. know and that borderline between life and death around these figures which is by the way somewhat related to that earlier discussion about death and corpses, which are both alive and not alive in this kind of very creepy way, mm -hmm. that um, that uncanny feeling around dolls is the sense that there's 
an agent there that's kind of like a human, but it's not like a human. And that space in between that ambivalence is the uncanny. And one place where you see that word used in technological culture is the so-called uncanny valley. Yes. And what the uncanny valley describes are those robots or androids, and they don't have to be in physical form. They can be things that you encounter on the screen um, that, again, ha- resemble human beings, but they're, they're close enough to make us recognize them as human, but they're not human, and that space in between is really uncomfortable. If it looks like a cartoon, it's, not un- it's a cartoon, or, or it's a weird, goofy, you know, a Disney creature or something. Mm-hmm. But if it looks pretty much like a human being, but not quite, it's very unsettling. And that unsettled, the unsettled feeling is the uncanny, but it's also the weird. So when I think when people use the word weird to talk about the experience of dealing with um, chat GPT, but really the, the more powerful models more intensely, uh, and also to some extent, the, the, the um, image generators that have come that are associated with these large language models, that the weirdness is the sense that you're dealing with a thinking being. No, it's not a thinking being. It's just a machine. Look, it makes silly mistakes. Wait, boy, did it answer that uh, question intelligently. In fact, sometimes it seems wise. And I had this experience the first time I read a text called Pharmaco AI that was written partly by the human author and partly with GPT-3. And I was reading it and the author kind of gets the language model to discuss issues of, you know, fate and the future of the planet and consciousness and the jungle and ayahuasca. It's all this weird and wild kind of Bay Area stuff. And as I'm reading the book, I realized I kept slipping into feeling like the the book was actually wise and that there was something really, really insightful. And then I would go, no, 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 I'm just reading like, a, a, you know, an, a, an immense calculator deciding what the next word is going to be in a sequence. And that ambiguity of slipping between feeling like it's alive and thinking and feeling like it's a machine calculating, that's really weird. Well, then I think a lot of us are hoping that AI stays weird because we're depending on that uh, creepiness to help us remember that it's not conscious. Uh, And and we worry that it's quickly, quickly rushing past the weird phase and it's just going to be indistinguishable too soon. I think you're correct in a lot of ways that uh, we're sort of in, in a, you know, in a race to kind of remember how how peculiar the situation is, even as it becomes rapidly, rapidly normalized to the point where, you know, it's very easy to imagine a future where we are regularly relying on this form of intelligence. And because of the way our psychologies are structured, we inevitably attribute agency to these things. Even if we consciously know a certain machine is just a robot running a computer, da, 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 we're going to project agency. And because these things are so good at so many things already, and they're just going to get better, that everybody does that. Even the computer scientists studying them, trying to figure out, well, what kind of reasoning are they doing? And that's the other really important thing to remember about AI that makes it extremely different than, in some ways, almost all the technologies that have come to this point, is that up to this point, the most powerful technologies could all be explained to you by a scientist. 
Uh, you might not understand all the details of the explanation, but you, you could tell that the scientists were able to explain, at least to each other, why things are the way they are. But with AI, when it comes out with a statement and you ask the people who developed the AI, why did it answer that way? They go, uh, I don't know, it, uh, it trained itself. And in mm -hmm. fact, it's a big open question. So even they don't know. So there's something that none of us really understand that is now, you know, raging through advanced technological society, changing business, raising billions of dollars, transforming careers as people pivot to embrace AI in new ways. So, I mean, it's really a radical moment. And I think it's going to feel weird for quite some time because of the way that it shifts and changes not just the way the world works, but the way we see ourselves. Because now we're like, wait, if a computer can do that, which I thought of as being kind of human, then, well, who am I? <laughs> you know, like, what am I here to do? And, uh, you know, those are going to be uh, unsettling questions, I think, that we're going we're gonna to be wrestling with for a while. You convinced me that that we were not going to we shouldn't banish the word weird. But even what you just said, I want to make one more pitch for the idea that lots of things are weird and nothing is weird, because I think what you're talking about is uh, is mystery. Yes, we it's not analyzable. It's not understandable. And I know it's different. You know, that's different for computers than it is the, the infinite universe. But still, I'm always reminding myself it's an infinite universe why would it be understandable? Mystery is the human condition. And in that way, it's nothing surprising. It couldn't be less weird if you know what I'm saying. I kind of want to hold both of those that it feels weird. And yet I don't want to push away mystery by labeling it weird. Oh, very good. No, I like that. As I'm a I'm a big mystery fan. I'm a mysterian. Some of the you know uh, rationalists might describe me because I think you can't begin to embrace or understand re reality or or life on this planet without having a, a good space for mystery to be there. Mm -hmm. And so, I, you know, I, I guess I just don't see them as quite as much uh, in opposition. I would say more that they are aligned or even that the weird is kind of a route into uh, the mystery, at least for some of us. Mm -hmm. I think some of us are attracted to that particular portal uh, into the mystery, uh, but that they're not necessarily in contradiction. However, I do think you're pointing to something significant, which is that the mystery never goes away. It doesn't matter what we think, what we develop. We are still, why is there something and not nothing? What could the, what is the, what animates the universe? What is the nature of consciousness? So, I mean, we maybe figure that out at some point, but I have my doubts. But the thing about weird is that it is a moving target, that what's weird in one era becomes not weird in another, and that it's shifting and changing. Doesn't mean it goes away. But it's kind of like an anomaly in science. You, you come up with, you have a bunch of, data, a bunch of data, and there's some anomalies. And you're like, what are those? And sometimes you can figure them out. And you get explanations like, oh, that's why that is. Well, it's no longer an anomaly. But does it mean that anomaly goes away? No, there's always anomaly. Every system, every account of reality, there are always holes in it, always anomalies. The weird is ever-present in our models. And I guess that's the final thing I would just say is that there's a connection between all these things we have been talking about, which seem kind of literary or cultural or uh, fictional or kind of psychological. And to remember that there is a reason that quantum physicists have been using the phrase quantum weirdness 
since the 1970s. Because when they look around for trying to explain how do we categorize or label all of these counterintuitive features of the quantum physical account of reality, which, by the way, are more and more robustly proved as we move forward, like they're not just models, they're describing reality, is those features, it's almost the, one of the easiest ways to describe them is they're weird. That means they're kind of part of reality, but they really don't fit. And they're sort of dis discomforting, um, kind of marvelous, but a little bit creepy or strange. You're not really sure what to do with them. So to my mind, it's really important to remember that there is a physics analog, that we're talking about reality with a capital R, not just our psychological worlds. The whole thing is tinged with weirdness, which, as you say, may in the end dissolve into the great mystery. Yes. Well put. I've told my kids nothing is weird. And when I talk with you and read High Weirdness and your work, I think, yeah, and everything is weird. <laughs> Perfect. Eric Davis, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for considering the word weird with me. No, I love it. I, I, it, was a great, it was great fun, Bill. Eric Davis. His latest book is Technosis. The one before that was High Weirdness. I'll link to that on our website. By the way, who won? Did I, did I manage to bias you against the word weird? Uh, I didn't make any headway with Eric. Is there a word or phrase that you would like me to inspect? A, a lovable word, a hateable word. Let me know at bradke, B-R-A-D-K-E, at K-U-O-W dot org. I'll be back in a few days with Week in Review.